In a simpler time, the Monopoly game at McDonald's was seen as an innocent bit of fun to accompany a tasty meal. Every few years, you could get a peel-off sticker, maybe get some extra fries, perhaps even win a car. But in 2001, an intricate scheme spanning over 12 years and costing the fast food giant $24 million would come to the surface and change the company forever. But who was the puppet master behind this eclectic web of Italian mobsters, Mormon real estate agents and unassuming American citizens? And how did they manage to pull the wool over the eyes of one of the biggest conglomerates in the world? Welcome to Fakes and Frauds. Welcome to the podcast. We are very excited to have you, and we are very excited to have a very special guest as well. His name is Andrew White, and he is a lovely comedian based here in the United Kingdom. He has his finger in many a pies, one of which is the online show Gigless, which is done with Catherine Bohart and Helen Bauer, which has been going all through lockdown. It's gained quite the cult following. You may recognise a lot of our past guests from Gigless, actually. He's also working on a show called The Gay Agenda Live, which he is previewing at various festivals and venues across the country. You can find his jokes on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, various platforms, and you will also find him here with us today. We're very excited to have him. Welcome to the show, Andrew White. Hello. So this is exciting. Very exciting. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. We are, yeah, once again, we have other cameos from um, from the cat. Uh, <laughs> listener of the show will uh, be familiar. Um, but uh, yeah, we are here today for a very special, important cause. Mm-hmm. We are here to discuss easily the biggest scandal in fast food history. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm trying desperately to think of another one. Um, the, the Burger King non-vegan vegan burgers. <gasps> they didn't. Well, they were vegan, but they were cooked on a meat grill. Okay. And I appreciate this isn't a scandal, but it was a personal annoyance. Uh, when KFC released a vegan burger, uh, they couldn't do a vegan meal because the chips weren't vegan so i ordered a vegan burger meal and i'm not actually a vegan myself so i wouldn't have minded the chips but it came without chips but it cost the same as a regular meal and uh i mean that's a personal scandal i, I put it at a similar level obviously for my own personal uh hardship 100 percent. i i feel so insensitive now from my earlier <laughs> comment i had no idea that you had been through this uh this tragedy Okay, yes, we, are, we, we will be talking about the scandal. And, and the scandal has to do with the McDonald's Monopoly game. Mm. Are you familiar, Andrew White? I am. It's a staple of, uh, well, I was going to say British culture, but uh, obviously it's international. But um, I feel like uh, maybe this is a, a kind of a very jingoistic view to take. But uh, I think, you know, it's properly British culture, sort of kids hanging outside McDonald's trying to peel away and get free fries. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe that is a very kind of inward Brexity view of my, of, uh, of myself, but I, I think uh, it's a very British cultural thing, but obviously it originated in America. Have you ever put your hand in a bin 
to retrieve a McDonald's Monopoly piece? Look me in the no. eyes. No, no, I've, ne <laughs> I've never done that. I, I, cool, uh... me either. We've got a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no, I, I don't think I've gone that far, but I, I know that I've got, I think I have a couple of friends who like bought pieces on eBay. That was a thing. Um, yeah. That, that doesn't make, I don't, I don't understand that because. If you're missing one piece yeah. to, to get, I don't know, like 500 quid, I can't imagine it was 10 grand. I probably would have heard about that, but, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's a anonymous man on the internet offering you what you need. Well, I a, wouldn't trust that, but B, that doesn't make sense. The, the economy of it doesn't make sense. Like I can't, cause surely, cause what I remember from school, so Obviously, I've had McDonald's outside of school as well. But at school on Wednesdays, you'd have a lunch break. And then the period straight after lunch was like a sort of free period. So everyone would go to McDonald's because you had more time to kind of order and sit and chat. And then straight after McDonald's, we had PE, which was a nice kind of like dichotomy. Um, but anyway, what I remember is people would peel off and go, oh, I've got a, a, a one of the dark blue properties, like Mayfair or something. And then everyone would be like, oh, that's the one that everyone gets. So the, the, like, I think everyone knew, or anyway, hardcore Mon McDonald's Monopoly fans knew that there was a certain frequency that they would appear. So if, if you, as the eBay seller, have the rare one that doesn't pop uploads, it's not going to take long to find the, the very common one. Because obviously they put the common one in to make you then look for the rare one. So I don't know why he would, or well, I was assuming it's a man, obviously. Uh, um, uh, women can also sell uh, McDonald's pieces uh, no, on, we, on we eBay. No, we are far too intelligent for that kind of behavior. <laughs> well, exactly, because you just go find the, the very common uh, missing piece of the puzzle. So there once lived a man. We're going classic storytelling format here. <laughs> once lived a man by the name of Jerome. This man, like many, was seeking direction in his life. A chronic illness affected his nervous system and recently forced him to leave his beloved police officer role at the Florida Police Department. So since his departure from the force, Jerome had been getting by in private security and was eventually hired by Simon Marketing. This is where Jerome found himself overseeing the security of the McDonald's Monopoly tickets, managing a complex system to ensure that there was no room for error and the tickets wouldn't be interfered with throughout the production line. So mm -hmm. in 1987, customers across North America potentially England, now that we've yeah. done that intro, let's throw, let's throw England in there too. I, I assume, I assume it was American launch though. Also in 1987, that seems really early. I like, this is going to sound like the stupidest thing ever, but it seems too early for peel off technology. <laughs> you know, like obviously you had stickers and stuff back then, but that, that particular kind of vinyl peeling. Yeah. Um, but it, like McDonald's, they were ahead of the game, you know? I just, I just can't picture, like, if you picture, maybe I'm picturing, like, a 1950s America thing, but, like, America in the 80s and McDonald's, it feels so kind of, like, retro, and then to have this kind of, like, plastic uh, line of stickers, I just don't... i tell you what, I will Google image this uh, whilst the, the story progresses, and I, I will give you an update. Anyway. It, oh, no, it, it, you know what? It looks exactly... Um, exactly like modern the modern peel and peel peelers wow. so that they, they've not changed technology at all in uh like three decades i mean you know something's not broken don't fix it and yeah exactly what it does the job clearly anyway okay so they've got these stickers yeah 
So since 1987, customers across North America would excitedly peel off stickers from the packages of their meals in hopes of instant wins, cars, vacations, and even extra fries. An incentive mm -hmm. that became an instant hit, driving up sales by an impressive 40%. That is a really large jump. That I, I wasn't expecting that much of a sales drive from it. But I suppose... Um, I suppose it's the first ever year they're doing it. It's quite a, a, a frenzy to to get on board with it. Do you ever um, do you ever win like a, a porridge as well? You get a breakfast porridge. Just, I, I, and I just wonder how many people win an instant winner porridge and then never go claim their Quaker Oats. I reckon that's probably a, a quite a big problem. Um, mm. You know, because there's a very small window of time where porridge is appealing. Yeah, uh, yeah but breakfast. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, who, who wakes up early enough? Uh, and if you do wake up early enough, you want a sausage egg muffin, you want a porridge. I just think, I was going to say, like McDonald's have this sort of, they've budgeted giving away free food and they know that some people aren't going to bother, they're just going to throw it away. And there's no that some people will peel it but not go claim it. Like they must, either they've accounted for the level of non-claimings or they've got a massive... Uh, contingency budget, which they could use to like feed the homeless or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could. Um, I feel like that's kind of a thing. I feel like I, I know maybe I've done it or my friends have done it. Like given a homeless person, like a a, a sticker thing. Mm, yeah, me too. I, I gave one old Kent Road once. I was like, you find the <laughs> other one, and you get a free big meal. <laughs> no, I said that was a that was a very mean joke. I didn't do that. <laughs> I mean, like I, I do appreciate that you remember the one time that you did something slightly nice. <laughs> it's on Old Kent Road. I was seventeen. It was a sunny day, um, and you're good for you're good for the rest of your life, really. No, I think um, it, yeah, it, it did really well this game, and you know mm, you can see why forty percent as a bit as a big yeah that's big. No, if, if if my comedy career improved forty percent, uh, I wouldn't be available to do this podcast. I would I I would be gigging so much more, and and I mean I'm very glad I'm doing this podcast. But uh, yeah, look just look at my diary on the wall. Forty percent increase. That is massive. That's huge. Do you think that you can start something similar for what, your like career? A, a, a sort of McDonald's giveaway if you book me for a gig. I'll give you a token, and if you collect enough of the tokens, <laughs> I will give you. It's a loyalty program. Yeah, yeah. So, so if one promoter connects enough tokens, I have to buy them a Nissan or a or a, or a PS4 or something. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, well, like some. Yeah, you could even just start with punch cards, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and then just have a, a stamp of your face. Tenth just... gig, or maybe just tenth gig free. You put me nine times for paid work, and, and uh, I'll give you my tenth kick free. Still a deal. I mean, just just ideas for everyone here. I mean, very um, much. It, it, the comedy circuit is the exact opposite. You do five gigs for free, and they get one. Exactly, paid you might get one. <laughs> you might get one where you get paid. Yeah, I think we're trying to game um, a system that has already been gamed and gamed against us. But oh well. <laughs> anyway. Our friend Jerome Jackson spent years overseeing the production of millions of these Monopoly pieces, but after a while, he once again felt as though he was missing something in his life, and delivering wins to fast food eaters wasn't what he wanted. 
So after divorcing his first wife, Jerome began to visit a psychic. What else would you do? What else would you do? No. Hobbies? Uh-uh. Going to the gym? No thanks. Um, <laughs> so on one of these visits, he was told that a windfall was coming his way in the near future. This was, of course, very exciting. Great news for Mr. Jacobson. Though he, he was not a patient man. He did not want to wait around for this. He decided to take matters into his own hands. Manifesting his own destiny. Although I do wonder about that, though. Like, well, first of all, I I I wonder if somebody tells you, oh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Oh, you're going to come into money. I was like, oh, fabulous. Well, I'll just go commit fraud then and, and make that money. And then <laughs> that's fine because a psychic has has premeditated that that, that will be happening. So he's like, thank you, psychic. I will now go commit some fraud. Yeah. See, Jerome had, by this point, been finding himself quite tempted to find a way to influence the system to ensure that one of the higher winning tickets would land in the hands of someone in his circle. This way, he could receive some of the money himself without raising too much suspicion. Obviously, he can't cash it himself. He's not mm -hmm. an idiot. Mm -hmm. Gotta play the game. So eventually, this temptation got too much, and he decided to give his stepbrother, Marvin, $25,000, a, a coupon thing worth $25,000, yep. expecting that everyone, of course, would overlook their familiar connection because they did not have the same surname. That's quite, that's quite a chunky, chunky amount. I would have tested the waters uh, with, with something a bit lower. Yeah, I don't know what the like denominations are, but yeah, that's a bit a bit spenny. Mm -hmm. But you know, good for him. I mean, not good for him. Don't do fraud. <laughs> so for a while, things have been pretty low key. But all that changed when a cartoon gangster villain by the name of Gennaro Jerry Colombo enters stage right. So if you think that this new fella sounds like a Scorsese character, you wouldn't be surprised to know that he's actually related to the guy who gets killed in the Irishman in that slow motion scene. Isn't, isn't the whole film slow motion? It's like, it's like four hours or something, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I think watching most Scorsese films feels a little bit like everything's in slow motion in your life. Yeah. So this family, this Colombo mm -hmm. family, they, they were textbook Italian-American mafia, right? Okay. Other family members include uh, Crazy Joe Gallo, who kept mm -hmm. a mountain lion in his New York apartment, and Gregory... Sorry, did you say that was textbook? <laughs> I, I, I've never read any sort of history document that was, oh, you know, the Al Capone, he had a puma in his backyard, didn't he? A, a mountain lion in his <laughs> New York apartment. Out of his apartment as well, it's not even necessarily ground floor. He had to get a lion through some sort of apartment lift system. I, I meant more like... Their textbook Italian American mafia, <laughs> right? Full stop. Okay. Then moving on. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I I grew up in Canada. You don't know what's in our textbooks. They're they're wild tales. Most of our textbooks are actually just choose your own adventure, um, <laughs> and um, that's always an option. Um, anyway, point being, they're wild Italian American. You know, like. I'm picturing very much sort of, yeah, Sopranos vibes. Mm, proper mobsters. Classic Italian-American mafia family. Yeah. So 
Simon Marketing, by all accounts, ran quite a tight ship. The process put into place to avoid employees smuggling winning tickets out of the building or tampering with them in any way was quite advanced. But over the years of observing these systems, Jerome noticed a few blind spots in the procedures. So, though the security measures in earlier production processes were heavily monitored, once these tickets were handed off to Jacobson, things became slightly more relaxed. Each ticket was enclosed in an envelope with a tamper-proof seal, which of course made it a bit tricky to switch any tickets around. But one day, like a gift from the scammer heavens, Jacobson mistakenly received a pack of these tamper-proof envelopes from a supplier. This allowed Jacobson to pump his mischief into overdrive. Alongside this stroke of good luck, he also found himself being monitored by a female auditor on many of his trips transporting the tickets. He quickly realized that the men's bathrooms were the perfect place to hand over these tickets to his various accomplices as he was not under close watch there. And it wasn't long before Jerome Jackson and Gennaro Colombo became thick as thieves, a real couple of wise guys. Gennaro even nicknaming Jerome Jerry. That was, but that was also his nickname. Gennaro, Jer- Jerry. We've got a few Jerry's going on. Jerry and um, Jerry. He's named his friend after himself. Yeah. This is what's happening. They have similar names. Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Gennaro and Jerome. Yeah. But Italian guy is like, hello, my new friend. You will also be called Jerry. <laughs> so everyone in this situation is just called Jerry. But was, this is the story of 10 Jerry's. <laughs> and all their fun. Anyway, they, they, so they got up, you know, they, they, they met each other in, by all accounts, in a random airport situation. I don't know. I mm-hmm. slightly want to believe something sexy was going on. So they got together, put their heads together, mm-hmm. and came with a plan, right? Yeah. It was simple enough. Sell the winning tickets for a fraction of their worth to various acquaintances and have them get someone to redeem the winnings outside of their home state. Therefore, adding a few degrees of separation between those involved, right? So his brother, stepbrother, bit bit close. That was a risky one. So they've kind of taken up, they're like, right, no more stepbrothers. We need stepbrothers, girlfriends, sons, aunt, who got lives you, in you. Michigan, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're putting work into it and, and it was working out. Um, so to kick off their business partnership, Jerome gifted his new Italian American mobster pal with the winning ticket for a Dodge Viper. Wow. Also yeah. quite a big ticket. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, Hey mate, here you go. This shows I'm serious about mm. our business endeavor. Um, and he actually ended up appearing in a 1995 McDonald's advert holding a large prop key for the car. So there's, there's footage of this on the internet. Um, wow. but he, uh, our Italian American mobster friend was a, a large man, quite a large man, Dodge Viper, not a large yeah. car. He could not fit. He <laughs> had to get, uh, he like had to get cash prize instead. Which I can imagine is like slightly embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. I assume it's slightly less as well. Like it'll be less than the finance of a Dodge Viper. I would do the goal of that as well to scam a company and then appear in their adverts. I mean, imagine if the great train robbers all of a sudden popped on up on a Virgin Trains advert. You know, <laughs> I, that's, I mean, that is, yeah, ballsy. I respect it. I respect it a little bit, actually. 
Yeah. But if you think this guy, like he was, you know, raised in a mobster family, mm-hmm. they're, they're not known for being, you know, timid. Not one to cowl <laughs> away. It so, so shows so much as well, like the human psyche is just like, we're doing a super secretive uh, fraud kind of move, but you've been offered the opportunity to be on camera, on TV, and you're like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, please, yes, please. Quickly crumbles. <laughs> yeah, straight away. It's, yes, please, I would like the exposure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So this Dodge Viper gift was a very good example of Jerome's increasing cockiness with the scheme. One time granting a newsworthy $1 million ticket to St. Jude's Children Research Hospital, a gesture perhaps to help justify his shady behavior. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. I didn't realize the McDonald's monopoly went up that high. Oh yeah. Also, how do you, (laughs) somebody, somebody at the charity has to be in on this. Somebody at the charity has to be a good enough person to work at the charity, but a bad enough person to go along with it. That's quite a small Venn diagram. Well, it was gifted anonymously. I see. So I think they literally put the t- ticket in the post and went, here you go. That, that, I mean, that would, I would be, I suppose, how can you trace it? But that's very suspicious. That would be the most suspicious thing so far is a $1 million ticket turning up at a research hospital. Because why wouldn't you claim the money and then give the money to the hospital? But I mean, I guess people people donate lots of money anonymously all the time. Yeah. Although when this fraud was like, I suppose they couldn't go backdate it. But like, what, what happens if the fraud's outed at this point? Do they just take the million dollars away from the charity? Yeah, it was... Yeah, it could have gone very wrong, but I think by all accounts, it, because it was quite a number of years later that it sort of all came came apart. So I think by that point, you're like, well, I've already bought Jimmy a new ventilator. So like, nope, unless you want to take it. that away from him. Yeah, get it to the pawn shop. We want that money back, please. <laughs> Actually, with inflation, it's probably more like five million now. So uh, TikTok, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, please. So I think, yeah, this obviously was a sort of glimpse into Jerome's mind. Like mm. he, you know, and previous to all of this, he was he was a law-abiding man for many years. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, never really had too many sort of troubles. And so, yeah, it's, it's widely speculated that this was a kind of like, well, sorry about stealing all this money from you, McDonald's, but... I'm going to give it to these these children who need it. And okay, cool. What was it? He's not really cheating McDonald's. He's cheating the general public because McDonald's are going to give away that money anyway, unless somebody doesn't claim it. But so they've already budgeted for it and it's already improved their sales by 40%. So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's cheating uh, uh, Joe Public out of the chance to win. True. Yeah. I didn't actually think about that, but yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, fuck you, Jerome, then. <laughs> And actually, actually, okay, do we do we like Jerome? Do we hate Jerome? I, I'm I, I'm on the fence. I, I think I like Jerome because I'm just thinking like actually the chances of the one person getting all of them, or what chances of like one person two one people two people in like opposite ends of the country getting the tick matching tickets they need and then never coming together. That's like really likely to happen. So actually, he's probably um, that million ticket may have never been claimed. So I like Jerome. I'm I'm on the side of Jerome. Okay, Unless, I, I, I reserve the right to reverse that if later on in the story he like kills a baby or something. I, <laughs> I, I'll just just make that caveat quickly. Okay. At this point in the timeline, we are we're still on his side. Okay, fair. So 
These two Jerrys began to put together a crack team of recruiters to grow their business to new heights, consisting largely of other random people that Jacobson had bumped into. During a cruise ship holiday, Jerome met Don Hart, a man who Jacobson believed would make a great addition to their criminal crew. Hart introduced Richard Cotier and Andrew Glom to Jacobson's band of merry men, promising to only sell the pieces to those who truly needed it. This promise, of course, didn't last long, and before they knew, any hint of philanthropy was but a memory. I mean, I, that one million is guy. That's a, that's a good thing to cling to. I think that would give you a few years of goodwill. Oh, yeah, surely. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you're still riding the coattails off that time on Old Kent Road when you were like, exactly, you know, exactly. what was it, 13? <laughs> <laughs> so finishing up the set, these men recruited Dwight Baker, a Mormon real estate developer. It's- Baker had suffered a ma- major spine injury and had built up tens of thousands of dollars in debt. In spite of the doctor's order to remain horizontal during his recovery, he wasn't going to take this lying down <laughs> and started collecting Monopoly pieces to pay it off. So he gifted the pieces he received from Jacobson to foster siblings and sisters-in-laws, always using counterfeit addresses to cover their tracks. Other beneficiaries were Columbo's father-in-law and a Florida man, one of many, called Michael Hoover, who spent his winnings on a boat called the Ruthless Scoundrel. But this fool's paradise was beginning to get attention. See, our big mobster friend, Gennaro Colombo, was no longer in the crew. After only three years in the glorious partnership with Jacobson, Mr. Colombo died in a car crash. This led Jacobson... Did he the Dodge Viper? Oh, no, he didn't buy the Dodge Viper, did he? I know, I, was gonna say, I know. If he crashed the Viper, that would have been a really good full circle. After only three years in the glorious business partnership with Jacobson, Mr. Colombo died in a car crash. This led Jacobson to continue his activities in a slightly less regulated way and ended up trusting some seedy characters to keep operations going. Say what you will about Italian-American mafia but they're pretty good at what they do and they don't often let things get too messy. Unless they're transporting a line up to their apartment block, of course. There's always some spillage involved in that. (laughs) It was through dealing with these lower level drug dealers and multifaceted criminals that eventually someone started talking. In 2001, the FBI received a phone call that would advise the feds to look into the McDonald's Monopoly winners and that a man who went by the name of Uncle Jerry was at the centre of it all. Season agent Richard Dent was the one to take the call and with his overwhelming workload, jotted down the claims but was quickly lost in the pile. It wasn't until a younger, more eager agent by the name of Doug Matthews spotted the note that things really kicked off. So the two agents, alongside their supervisor Chris Graham, went on to have an absolute hoot in their investigation of the case, starting by calling it Operation Final Answer in reference to the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire who was sponsoring the contest that year. Sorry, it's, so it was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire sponsoring Monopoly, sponsoring McDonald's. Mm-hmm. That is some corporate Russian doll shit going on. <laughs> I Yeah. <laughs> so surely... Who wants to be a millionaire would want to like barge in and do their own thing. Like, why would you want to piggyback off the back of? Mon- I want to know as well, actually, because obviously this has increased McDonald's sales by forty percent. Did it increase Monopoly sales? And indeed, <laughs> did it increase Who Wants to Be a Millionaire viewing figures? I can't imagine a lot of people were buying Monopoly, but I mean, maybe they were. Oh. I don't know because also, like you know, some Monopoly always has like those weird versions of it, doesn't it? Like, I've no got one- lots of versions of Monopoly. Yeah, go on. Uh, Bournemouth and Paul Monopoly, 
Salisbury Monopoly, what? which is yeah, well, because my family's from Bournemouth, so Bournemouth and Paul, it's like a local Monopoly. And then last year they released Salisbury Monopoly, where I live, and I love Salisbury, so I've got Salisbury Monopoly. I've also got traditional Monopoly and uh, Thunderbirds Monopoly from when I was a child, and I've also got a Monopoly for the France '98 World Cup. Um, and the thing is, I'm not even that much of a fan of Monopoly, I don't really <laughs> like the game. <laughs> I was kind of expecting you to say like Star Wars oh, Monopoly. Monopoly. Oh right. <laughs> I you know, I was yeah, when I was thinking of the kind of different versions, I was very much thinking the kind of like yeah, like Disney or like all those. I forgot that yeah, a lot of towns and cities have their own version. I completely mm-hmm. forgot about. I a don't lot of know businesses if- have their own version as well, like home bargains, which is like a sort of um just like a, a shop here in the UK. It has it's a wonderful a, shop. It's a wonderful, wonderful Big shop, fan. yes. I just, I just realised you, you probably have international listeners, so I thought I should give some home bargains context. Um, anyway, it's like a sort of uh, a much, much smaller scale Walmart or something. Uh, and it's got, there's a home bargains monopoly and you can buy different uh, shops of home bargains around the country. And then all the train stops are home bargains distribution centres. Um <laughs> Oh, it's gone too far, hasn't it? It has gone too far. I feel like that might be entertaining, like, at the Home Bargains HQ Christmas do, and that's it. Um, yeah, who's such a fan of Home Bargains that they buy Home Bargains Monopoly? Anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, there's, 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 a, there's a fraud investigation we're currently trying to do. I, I forgot that. <laughs> there are some criminals on the loose. <laughs> Yeah. And we need in, to in get them behind bars. Yeah. Oh shit! I should have wrote a joke about sent to jail. Oh god! Oh, god, Monopoly goes to jail. Oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, I'm not sure if McDonald's really increased the Monopoly sales. I think it, it was probably like a brand exposure practice. It kept it in the consciousness. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in the early days of Operation Final Answer, what pointed them on to? The Jerry's ongoing scam was, quote, nose to the grindstone police work, according to Chris Graham. But initially, one of the biggest issues they faced was understanding exactly how far up this McDonald's corporate structure scam went, right? So mm-hmm. they just got this anonymous tip. They didn't know if McDonald's was involved, if it was a complete, like, middleman situation, if it was a, a 16-year-old at the shops, you know, we, they didn't know. So they were kind of like, right, do we want to tip McDonald's off by going to them? Yeah. Or do we want to do a bit of our own investigation see what happens? They were like, let's just, let's just go to McDonald's and, and see what they have to say, you know? Oh, yeah. I like when we, I like that you're referring to them as the Jerry's as well. It's like a, it's like the ice cream company, but they've, they've had a divorce. Ben's gone to yeah, separate ways. Exactly. He's, he's, just, he's just selling tubs of cookie dough bits. And then the Jerry's yeah. are just churning out plain ice cream. So eventually... They decided it was best to go talk to McDonald's directly, with Doug Matthews being an absolute legend by choosing to wear a gold suit while meeting with their security team. I can't, it, it was relevant somehow, and I don't remember how. I don't know, I think he just wanted to be cool. So the timing of this meeting could not have gone better as McDonald's were about to run their next round of the Monopoly game. The FBI quickly suggested that in order to catch the culprits red-handed, they would need to run the competition as normal. So either they cooperate with the sting operation and keep running the contest fraudulently to catch out Jacobson and make huge losses in the process, or refuse to cooperate and be complicit with the ongoing illegal activity. 
McDonald's decided to cooperate with Matthews and the FBI to bring down this Uncle Jerry once and for all. Initially, they did their regular police work, such as wiretapping some of the recruiters and people close to Jacobson. But then, inspiration hit. It was obvious that this group of people didn't expect much from McDonald's and had taken them for fools. That wasn't going to fly with McDonald's. They were going to have their revenge. Things just, things just got very dramatic. <laughs> mm. So with the help of their marketing whiz by the name of Amy Murray, Matthews had select a group of agents to pose as Shamrock Productions. So this was a fake production company. Mm-hmm. And they decided that they would show up at the next winner's home and tell them that they were doing a promotional video for McDonald's Monopoly and they wanted to hear their story. So when a 56-year-old man by the name of Michael Haver was declared the next winner, the crew were quick to rush to his westerly Rhode Island home. The plan, it worked. Following a full day of recording, having Hoover take them to a spot that he received the quote, warning ticket, orchestrating some frankly absurd B-roll, one scene depicting Hoover holding his giant check on the beach before a random passerby (laughs) tackled him and ran off with it, Matthews having to chase him down to retrieve it. That's why that's not got monetary value. Big, you can't cash in that big check. That's just for show. <laughs> like, why is the passerby stolen it? Because it's not worth anything. And why is he bothered chasing it? Because it's not worth anything. Also, Honestly. once again, like earlier when, when Columbo was doing the advert, like this guy has, fra- I assume fraudulently, um, related to Uncle Jerry got this ticket, but they've been like, we'll put you on the TV. And like, well, I got this through a crime, but I can't see anything wrong with me putting this on TV. They're just so eco-driven to be like, yeah, I'll go on TV with this thing I've done illegally. Yeah, I mean, maybe he was like, well, if I object, they'll think it's shady. Anyway, so he, yeah. He was like, cool, yeah, come on down. And there, this crew, you know, their whole thing was like, well, maybe we'll catch him out on something, right? Maybe Mm. we'll see a notepad that says, to do. (laughs) Right. Cash that fraud check, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they're monitoring this guy all day. They're filming him. There's all this shit going down, right? Yeah. Nothing too incriminating happens. He's acting a bit shady, but whatevs. Anyway, it was after they left that they caught him on the phone. They'd, they'd tapped his phone, calling one of these head honchos in the ring and was like, Oi, yeah, they fell for it. I don't know exactly what he said, but it was it was something very obvious that, you know, he was he was in trouble. So they tracked this call, and that is how they found Uncle Jerry. August 22nd, 2001, when the scam came crashing down. The hard work and questionable tactics had paid off and Jacobson was arrested. What followed was a total of more than 50 convictions. Jacob himself pleading guilty on all counts of fraud and conspiracy, paying out 12.5 million in recitation and being sentenced to three plus years in prison. Andrew? Yes. He he was not loving it. He wasn't. He, was he wasn't loving it. Twelve point five million. Did he earn that much money over? Like, surely somebody was. It was spotting. twenty. I think it was twenty four that he earned. 
Wow. Why? I mean, I, 24 million the, pounds. But like, I, I, so what's he doing with that money? Like somebody has to be like, oh, this guy works as a security factory. Why is he, why does he live in a mansion? Why is nobody questioning where this money is coming from in the first place? I think people had their suspicions. Right. Um, there was quite a lot of notes about like he would suddenly start started dressing a little bit nicer and going out to fancy dinners and, you know, getting a side of avocado with his... Uh, and some free fries, of course. Order. Mm. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah. And to be fair, so he supposedly was on a salary of $70,000, which... Right. I don't know exactly what that would be in pounds or what that even looks like. It's more than I have. Um, and a lot of people were like, it was a very comfortable wage. So he, I think people expected him to sort of have a bit of cash, but yeah, things, things ended up getting a little bit flashy. Um, but, um, but yeah, I guess he, uh, I don't know where he hit it. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Oh, he got caught. Poor Jerry. Decades long as well. Wow. 12 years. Like if I was doing something for 12 years, I would be very comfortable in doing that thing. You know, yeah. imagine if you played piano for 12 years, you'd be like, I'm an amazing pianist. Mm -hmm. And so he must've, that must've been a strange sort of situation to be in. Like, this is my life. Yeah. But now he's been caught out. Uh, and I was quite surprised by the sentence as well. I was like, oh, that's actually not that long. Three. Uh, uh, fraud cases never do have a large sentence, I don't think. Yeah. I think it's more fines, isn't it? Well, we, um, last week, no, two weeks ago, we, uh, we covered a case about a woman who may or may not have put a human finger uh, in a bowl of Wendy's chili. And she may or may not have been sentenced to nine years. How? What, sorry, where did she get the finger from? No, I tell you what, I'll listen to the podcast when it comes out. Supposedly so, well, putting a where did she get the chili. finger from then? Well, you've got to listen to the podcast. I will, I will. I, for the tailors. I wonder if the, the charity thing came into... I wonder if that uh, affected mm. his sentencing. Well, he. I think he was sentenced via a jury yeah if i remember correctly and if that's the case then 100 percent i would have mm -hmm. come into play but um but yeah so we we we've covered this we um do we have thoughts do we have feelings um i uh, he's not killed a baby or anything so i think i still like jerome he's he, he clearly he clearly needed his mentor gennaro the other jerry I, I feel from a bit, I'd like to see, I know there was a documentary about it, but I'd like to see like a, a dramatized film and I want to see him reckoning with the effects of the loss of his business partner. Cause I think it would be quite an emotional scene. I think it would <laughs> add a lot of pathos to the story. I would really feel for him. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I imagine they had a pretty, pretty nice bromance going on. Mm. You know. Also, if he's had to pay back 12.5 million, but he got 24 million. That's profit. That's clean profit. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that works. Like, surely the court fees and stuff were a bit spenny. But not millions. I can't imagine they would let him keep some of it. No, yeah, they probably, yeah. They but then I guess how do you prove... Well, we've got proceeds not... of 
of crime here over in the UK, don't we? So anything they seize, can they can be put into like community projects and stuff through the Proceeds of Crime Act. Oh, that's cute. So maybe they did something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, let's pretend they did. Let's pretend they gave it to... St. Jude's Hospital Research. Okay, right. So we've covered Jerome. We've <laughs> covered Jerry's. All of the Jerry's. Yeah. I would like to know. That, you know, surely this is not the only competition scandal in the history no, no, no. of the land. Well, as as mentioned before, we had who, who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the, the coughing scandal, that was a big one. Yeah, episode but, uh, number two, three? Francis, I, I, I knew you'd Don't have it. I, it. Actually, I knew I did, I did did look back through your back catalogue, so I knew knew you'd covered it. So <laughs> as well as listening to this episode, go back and listen to the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire episode and the Wendy's Finger Scandal episode. <laughs> Well, there was um, there was a, a GMTV scandal, which is What's Good Morning GMTV? TV. Good okay. Morning TV. It's a, it's like a morning uh, TV program. It was disbanded and then replaced. So I think it's weird. We don't really have a culture of like morning America, like America have like breakfast programs. We do have that, but there's not like like a part of our culture i don't think a lot of people don't relate or watch them certainly nowadays anyway but there used to be daybreak and then daybreak was replaced by gmtv and then gmtv was replaced with by daybreak for two years and then after daybreak they put good morning britain which is the current uh itv morning program but yeah so itv has always had this kind of <laughs> a morning program this morning, right this morning is different this morning is so good morning britain will run from like 5am or something maybe 6am i think i think it's i think it's earlier though until about no oh no it must be nine because i remember if it's switched so from nine o'clock it switches to lorraine i think and i remember if we started watching lorraine i was going to be late for school so that that was my signal like oh lorraine kelly's on the tv i'm going to be late for school does Um, that still happen when you see lorraine kelly on television eh? I'll be honest. Now, now I'm I'm a self-employed comedian. I wake up far too late to see Lorraine <laughs> Kelly or Piers Morgan. Uh, what about when she was on Drag Race? I did see that. I did see that. She was she was quite good on that. So anyway, that's that's not what this is about. GMTV is a morning news program, and they'd have discussion panels, and they do big giveaways, and they still do big giveaways. Um, it's like those easy ones. It's just like. Uh, text win to this number as like the challenge is you have to spell the word win and then they'll give you like 50 grand um but they make them so easy because they get so many entries and i think it was like 40 percent of their profit was from these uh, phone-in competitions like millions and millions of pounds i think um i think i have the exact number i uh, i don't well i the thing is the scandal came that they were allowing people to phone in at one pound eighty a call after they'd already chosen the winner. <gasps> so it turned out that over several years, about between so there's different figures online, but between ten and twenty million pounds worth of phone calls were wasted phone calls. They did they, they you were they had no chance of winning because they'd already chosen the winner. Cheeky bastards. Yeah. I mean, it. the thing, thing is, it wasn't GMTV really. Like, it was there. They were using a company to 
sort out all the details of phone-in competitions, but they got fined for gross negligence because they're promoting that competition. They have to... Uh, I I regulating it. Exactly, exactly. They should be keeping a closer eye on it. And they were fined um, £2 million by Ofcom. Oh, the largest ever Ofcom fine. Is it? Well, not, 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 not anymore, but at the time it was. The year oh. after, ITV separately. So GMTV got fined, which was ITV's show, so technically ITV got fined. But the year after, ITV also got fined again, like £5.68 so even more. For the same thing? Yeah, and that, 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 I think that is the largest Ofcom broadcasting fine. They've, they've fined more, but for like BT and Vodafone and, you know, telecoms people rather than TV. Wait, so Ofcom? Yeah. What where did they what happens to that money? <laughs> um it goes into them operating and I think it, it is a government office. I think it goes into the oh, okay. Uh like the heavily heavily advertising culture, heavy advertising culture of America. We don't have that over here because of Ofcom. Like they don't allow product placement product placements. Um, so if you look at like the record Ofcom kind of fines, there's actually a lot for phoning competitions. Loads of people that are running like fraudulent or um, dodgy phoning competitions or phoning competitions where you can't really win. There's a lot of fines for that. There's a few fines for, um, actually GMTV also got fined for a product placement, which is not allowed on British TV. You can't uh, advertise products in a, in a TV show secretly. You have to acknowledge that it's, a, it's an advert. And uh, swearing, swearing on the radio, swearing pre-watershed, you get fined for that. And I think somebody got fined once for airing a documentary and several scenes of the documentary were faked. So that Macmillions, the Macmillions documentary, if they weren't exactly true to what happened and it went out on British TV and then somebody spotted that wasn't true and it was fabricated, Ofcom could find them. Well, Be a fraud I mean... within a fraud. I, this has never happened on Fakes and Frauds before, but if you tune in next week, we are looking at one of these said fake documentaries. <gasps> oh, oh my goodness. I, I, I have accidentally promote, back promoted two, three episodes <laughs> and forward promoted the next week's episode. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. This is great. Um, Wow. Okay. I've always like. Have you ever have you have you ever voted in one of these or not voted but um like entered one of these text win? And I tell you what, I did enter those. Have you seen those million pound house draws? <gasps> yes. Yeah, you can enter like a raffle ticket and you can win the whole house. I did enter that. I really want you to say, and I won the house. <laughs> That's where I am right now, not my childhood bedroom. Yes, correct. <laughs> I just put up this background to make myself feel more comfortable. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for this having me. It's been lovely. Thank you for really just, you know, using your time wisely to uh, reference every episode I've ever done and will <laughs> do in the future. Very much appreciate it. You have a show. Yes. You're working on a show. I'm working on a show. Performing the said show. So it's called the Gay Agenda Live. 
it may change title by the time I get to like its finish stage. But at the moment, I'm going to like Bedford Fringe, Ventnor Fringe on the Isle of Wight, Shaftesbury Fringe. Uh, I'm doing a preview in Bristol. Um, it's a bit weird because normally I'm working towards Edinburgh and I still am working towards the Edinburgh Fringe, but that's now going to be 2022. So I'm kind of like a year ahead of that cycle. So I don't know where it's going to go. Normally I'd already have like a venue booked in. But uh, yeah, if you see my name out and about, doing previews please come watch or even just not doing previews even just doing a club gig come and watch uh instagram handle please uh instagram is everything pretty much is stand up andrew instagram twitter tiktok my website standupandrew.com look at you down with the kids i know right very exciting um amazing well thank you so much for having no i'm i'm always here i don't need to <laughs> say that to you're welcome it was, it was lovely to host you <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, please, if you like the podcast, please do follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a little review. Five stars would be beautiful. Like, write us a little thing as well. Tell us all your feelings uh, and all your thoughts. We would we would be happy to hear them. And follow us on social media as well. I'm not very good at promoting that, but it's Fakes and Frauds Pod on Instagram or Fakes and Frauds on Twitter. Um, and yeah, we are shortly wrapping up our second season, um, but uh, please do stick around and we will have amazing new episodes for you in season three. Um, and tell your friends and we will see you next time. Thank you. Sorry.